and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a weekly show. Well, when I'm not sick. <laughs> a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web, and the Fediverse. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 111. <laughs> That's fun to say. 111. 111. 111. The Ethical AI Layer Cake. Ah, it's good to be back, back from being sick. <laughs> For most of February, I feel like, uh, man, it's been a it's been a real slog. Uh, I wanted to do an episode last week and get back into the swing of things, but I was still just so kind of overwhelmed with catching up after being really sick and uh, still coughing a lot, still having issues, shall we say, in the in the vocal department. So this is really the week where I feel like I'm mainly okay, mostly back to my old self. Um, and thankfully, it's not a live show. So if I do have to pause and cough a bunch, you won't need to hear it, <laughs> which is a good thing. Trust me. Um, also, no Fresh Fusion Plus segment this week. Uh, nothing extra for the Intuitive Plus subscribers out there because we have such a meaty main topic, and I think it's going to be all we can do to just get through that. But uh, please be sure to subscribe to Creator Class, my email newsletter, because I'll be sending out a bonus issue this week to Intuitive Plus members. So if you are an Intuitive Plus member, just head over to plus.intuitivefuture.com and make sure you're subscribed to Creator Class there. Uh, and if you're not an Intuitive Plus subscriber, you can still head over to plus.intuitivefuture.com and become a member. Uh, it really helps support this show and pretty much everything I'm doing in the realm of content creation online these days. Uh, so your support is greatly appreciated. All right, just a couple of links here I want to share before we get into today's main topic. Jim Nielsen over at his blog, has a really great article out called The Subversive Hyperlink. And Jim makes this point that certainly we all kind of take for granted, but it's really an important point, which is that the web has a superpower, and that is that you can share links without permission. You can just share links. <laughs> you can go to any website and grab that URL and share that link in any number of places, for the most part. And he kind of describes how that's not always exactly the case, right? Uh, app stores and links to external purchase methods have been curtailed in the past and still are to a degree. Uh, there are social media sites that don't want you to have links out except in ways that they really control, like the old Lincoln bio phenomenon. Uh, anyway, there, there have been efforts over the years and some ongoing efforts to try to control, try to corral this power of sharing links, but that's really what the web is all about. And that's what makes the open web such a force to be reckoned with because it's really just links documents linking to other documents all around the world from different people. Uh, 
So anyway, uh, it's not a long blog post, but I encourage you to check it out. I'm sharing this link (laughs) with you all because I think Jim makes an excellent point here. And secondly, I want to share a link to RM Transit. It's a channel about public transit and urbanism by Reese Martin, very highly regarded. He's been featured on Nebula. Uh, and yeah, I think if you, if you rattle off a list of YouTube channels about urbanism, this one comes up pretty quickly. Uh, but now you can consume RM Transit through PeerTube. Reese has uploaded, get this, 698 videos, (laughs) 698 videos on public transit and urbanism now available through PeerTube. Uh, so I think that's pretty awesome. And, you know, I'm trying to think of what other prominent YouTubers, and even more specifically, folks on Nebula, like who else has put content on PeerTube, on a PeerTube instance, uh, that's this high profile? Like, I don't know. Do you? (laughs) If you can think of a more high profile content creator than... RM Transit, popular on YouTube, featured on Nebula, Patreon, the works, right? Like, if there's anyone even more prominent than RM Transit that's using PeerTube as well now, I'd love to hear about it, but I think this may be the most high-profile example so far, at least in, in recent times. So I hope the experiment works. I hope Reese feels good about what he's doing here. Um, it's really interesting to see this and, uh, Reese, uh, you know, mentions the fact that he makes a great deal of income through AdSense on YouTube. So by putting stuff up on PeerTube, he's losing income essentially. So Patreon is the only way you can support his efforts here. Uh, and so I am full disclosure. I'm now a patron of Arm Transit, uh, to support this effort. So anyway, if you're interested in urbanism, and I hope you are, uh, check out RM Transit on PeerTube. All right, so today's episode is all about generative AI and the ethics of AI. It's a topic I talk about a lot on Mastodon, and I've written about a fair bit, but I haven't gone into it on the podcast here in in a really concentrated way. I'm not sure if I've had a whole episode just about my thoughts on generative AI. So I figured it's long overdue, and given everything I see happening out in in the tech world and in the business landscape, uh, it's important to talk about this stuff. Um, Depending on where you fall on the debate, you may be cheering me on, you may be yelling at your podcast player, (laughs) you may be sick of this whole topic. I don't know. But I hope that I have some insights that may prompt some further reflection on your part. That's all I can hope for. This episode's going to be a little bit scripted from here on out. I've written a bunch about all the topics, and so I'm going to kind of just go through it here in a somewhat scripted way, rather than riff (laughs) off the cuff, as I normally do. So that may feel a little bit different. Uh, But it's just, it's so much information I want to make sure I get out 
in as clear of a manner as I can. So I kind of have to just go through the bullet points here. Um, also, before we really get into the meat of it, uh, I want to be forthcoming in the fact that I realize, you know, I have the sort of personality that is predisposed to extreme dislike of these types of tools, you might say. Like, I'm not the kind of person who would look at what's happening with generative AI today and naturally be like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, First of all, I can't stand it when you perform a set of actions in a particular computer system, in particular software, and, and every time you perform that set of actions, you get some different kind of outcome, right? <laughs> that sort of fuzziness or, or spooky action at a distance. Uh, I, I can't stand it. I can't stand anything that's not truly reproducible. Uh, as a software programmer, the worst thing that could happen, right, is someone reports some weird behavior, a possible bug, and it can't be reproduced or it's intermittent. It sometimes doesn't work, but sometimes does work. Things like that. Ah, oh, it's the worst. It's just the worst. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people out there, certainly people less tech savvy, you might say, I, I think they expect computers are like this all the time, right? Computers do weird things and you don't understand why and it doesn't do what you expect it to do. And computers just act sort of in these arbitrary ways, in these inexplicable ways, and it's very frustrating. So I think there's a certain expectation maybe in the mainstream world of computers are just weird, man. But I've never felt that way because of my background, I guess. Like, I always assume that if I could just simply figure out the logic of what some internal system is doing, like, what is happening under the hood? If I could only figure that out, if I can divine the set of circumstances and the set of activities that result in certain outcomes, I can understand what the computer is doing and I can get it to behave the way I want it to behave by making sure that everything is set up the way it needs to be set up to get the kinds of outcomes I want. And anything deviating from that is probably a bug or something wrong right? <laughs> so so that's just part of my background, part of my personality, right? I, I just don't like fuzziness in software. And another aspect of my personality is I'm a stickler for accuracy. I just absolutely hate it. I hate it when anything is sloppy, you know, especially when it comes to the written word, right? Like sloppy, ill-phrased, misspelled, obviously, or, you know, riddled with inaccuracies, even if it's unintentional, half-truths, or obviously just downright falsehoods. I'm, I'm so careful to want my own work to be accurate, right? I've gotten into arguments, not so much on Mastodon, but in the past on Twitter, there'd be some argument over some technical thing. And, you know, I'd be pointing out all the inaccuracies in some marketing or in some 
you know, claim or whatever, some statement that somebody's made. And I'll be pointing out things that I think are demonstrably false. And folks will come back like, oh, and you think you get it right all the time or who are you, the accuracy police? I don't know. Like, however they would say it, right? It'd kind of be this comeback of like, who died and made you the police of what's true or whatever. And I would always just reply like, I say things that I think are true and I can back that up with facts. If you think I've said something, if you think I've made a claim that's demonstrably false, you can point to and say, here's why this is wrong. Like, tell me and I'll fix it, right? Like, find a blog post, find a podcast, whatever, where I've said things that are false. Tell me, please tell me, point these things out and explain to me why it's wrong so I can correct it. Because I hate inaccuracies. Now, a lot of the time in these sorts of conversations, of course, once I say that, it's, it's amazing how little <laughs> uh, someone comes back with to say, like, okay, here's where you're wrong. You got that wrong. Um, but, you know, it has happened, and I've had to correct it. And I hate doing that, right? Like, I just hate being wrong. I hate being inaccurate. I hate feeling like I've led people astray. I've given them the wrong impression, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine this whole quote-unquote post-truth world online has been so hard for me because I can't stand inaccuracy. So you're probably starting to think like, okay, Jared, <laughs> I can see why you're not keen on generative AI tools because, well, you hate fuzziness and you hate inaccuracy. And what is generative AI but very fuzzy, often inaccurate tools? <laughs> it does not mesh well with my brain. But in spite of all that, I think I'm able to still convey some salient points here. I think I can make a series of fairly objective arguments why the generative AI tools we have on the market today I can't claim to speak to tools years down the road, right? But what we see right now and how it's working right now, I think I can make some fairly objective arguments why these tools are deeply problematic on a variety of societal and ethical levels. So to kind of set this all up, I posted on Mastodon a few days ago uh, a little bit about just a reaction I had, seeing some stuff on threads, and it kind of led to talking generally about the state of AI. So I just want to read through those toots here and kind of use that as a jumping off point uh, for a set of, of ethical statements I want to make about generative AI. So I tooted, I don't think many folks who primarily spend time on Mastodon as their social network of choice realize how absolutely bonkers it is elsewhere. Like on Threads, for example. People are just openly talking about how AI-based automation will soon impact nearly 50% of office jobs and nearly that high in many other industries. Like, like it's a given. A done deal. I don't even remotely believe that. And I intend to actively boycott any companies found to be pulling these absurd shenanigans. Just so we're super duper crystal clear here, there is no AI none whatsoever that anyone anywhere has invented which actually thinks, actually reasons. 
All we're seeing are very clever algorithms running on regular hardware, aka nothing exotic, which can fool humans into thinking they've produced novel intelligent information. It's an illusion, like how X number of frames per second moving pictures appear to be natural motion, even when they're in fact not. Illusions don't work meaningful jobs. So I want you to keep all that in the back of your mind as we go through these different ethical uh, issues and statements around generative AI. Uh, Because, you know, even that premise I'm laying out there, there's been pushback. And I think maybe a little less now than earlier on. But, you know, you'd read these like wild statements from people, even like technical people, saying things like computers show empathy now. We, we, have, we have these new types of software, these generative AI tools that can empathize with us and can understand what we're trying to do. And like, no, they don't empathize with anybody. They don't understand humanity. Like, those are wild claims to make and completely unsubstantiated if you know anything about how these algorithms work, right? Like, there's no even spark of sentience in any of this. And when people try to claim there is, when people are like, ooh, ghost in the machine, like, I typed in this particular prompt and got this thing, and like, whoa, it's like, it's like the computer's actually thinking and actually telling me things that it's figured out. Like, that is an illusion, and, and you are putting your humanity into the information you're consuming, and it's just not there. Like, it's just not there. So I want to make that real clear as a premise here, because, like, if you're not even on board that, if you're trying to make the claim that computers can now empathize, computers can now understand what it means to be human, like, you might as well just stop the podcast there, because there's no common ground to even go over this stuff. Right. But if you do buy the premise that, yes, these are just very clever algorithms, there's nothing exotic, there's nothing like out of the norms of what computer software is capable of. It's, it's just very clever algorithms operating these very interesting set of tech demos that, you know, may or may not be useful, may or may not be ethical. That's what we can get into now. All right, one other thing I need to say here before we get into these points. I know I know this is a lot of setup, but um, I want to be clear, I'm not part of the sort of AI alarmist camp. I don't think we're mere steps away from the Matrix or the Terminator, right? Like, I don't think AI is even remotely comparable to the type of sentient AIs that we see in those films, right? Like I've been saying... The AI is not thinking or reasoning at all. You know, we're calling it AI, but these are just machine learning algorithms that, you know, take inputs and produce outputs, even in a very fuzzy way. It's still just data in, data out. Um, You know, there's nothing exotic here like quantum computing and working in some new way, right? We don't have some new thing like a positronic brain, (laughs) like at Star Trek or, you know, like there's nothing crazy going on here. You know, it's just a lot of very impressive math. So, you know, I, I, I just think the AI alarmist thing is 
at best folks being a bit misguided and at worst actually a smokescreen for the very real problems we have right now with generative AI. So, all right, with all that out of the way, uh, what I want to do here is set out a sort of systematic approach to how I would accept an ethical form of generative AI, right? Like, I'm going to make an argument against the tools we have now by laying out, like, well, what would be an approach to ethical, useful tools in this space? You know, what are the prerequisites to getting there? Um, so I'm going to th- think of this as a layer cake. <laughs> That's why this episode's called that, the ethical AI layer cake. Each layer informs the next layer, and if you were to take out any particular layer, it would destabilize the ethical structure of this approach, right? So all these layers are important. We have to go through each one. So layer number one, generative AI tools must be 100% open. The claims of keeping them closed for safety or security reasons are frankly bullshit. If these tools are unsafe, and in many cases they are, they must be legally regulated just like hard drugs, weapons, tobacco, child pornography, etc. Due to the requirement of openness, I basically reject all corporate operation of and thus selling of generative AI. Just like I don't pay any corporation to sell me the Ruby programming language or the ability to edit JPEG images or any number of other vital programming and data manipulation tasks, I don't understand why I would pay a particular corporation for access to generative AI, or even if it's somehow free, only have that single corporate source for the technology. So to summarize that, you know, I'm I'm not just saying like, yay, open source, I like open source. I'm saying you can't have an ethical AI tool that's a generative AI tool like we've seen, you know, the chat GPTs of the world, the uh, dollies of the world, right? You can't have those types of tools unless they're 100% open, not behind some kind of commercial, corporate, you know, control, paywall, etc. All right, so that's layer number one. Layer number two kind of builds upon that, like I've been saying. So for this layer, I'm saying that generative AI tools must be completely transparent about the sources they use and why. Black box algorithms are unacceptable. Anyone claiming they don't yet know how to make algorithms that aren't black boxes are simply revealing these algorithms can't yet be used ethically. This one is really key because, you know, we keep getting told that, you know, with LLMs and with other sorts of algorithms in this space, you know, we don't know why the output that comes out is exactly that, right? Like, we don't know all of the different sources of information. Let, you know, we don't know what that is exactly that led into that because, you know, the training data sets turn into a sort of highly compressed format, right? Like, I'm not going to go into all the technical details here around tokens and this and that. Frankly, I don't fully understand all of it because I'm not an algorithmic scientist in the field of AI, right? Like, I know enough to kind of understand 
in in broad terms like how this is working so you know we have this sort of encoded matrix of information that then allows prompts to become outputs but once we get those outputs we can't rewind that to figure out all of the different inputs that went into that right like you can't find out like oh there was this particular article and there's inspiration from that particular author and oh like this artwork I'm looking at was inspired by the paintings of so and so in the late 1800s right like the kind of questions you could ask another human about all of their inspirations and sources and whatnot and again, I get into arguments sometimes online here, which is really weird to me of like, people will say like, well, humans just learn all these things throughout their lives and then they do stuff and they have no idea like where they learned all those things and how it came into their brains, right? They just know these things. They just know these things. And I'm like, I don't understand that because I know how I learned the things I know, right? Like I can rattle off a huge number of sources <laughs> of information that I like to convey. Like if I'm talking about game design, I can tell you the game designers that have inspired me. If I'm talking about a particular programming technique and web development, I can probably tell you who inspired me as I learned this particular programming technique. I can tell you which year and where I was when I learned xml style sheet language like i read a book i don't remember the exact author of the book but i could probably do some research and get that for you right like what was the number one book in xslts in the year 2007 or whatever it is right like so <laughs> again like I, I don't know where people are coming from with this humans understand the sources of their information and their learnings all the time and yet we're just okay with generative AI tools having no ability to tell you where any of this output came from. Why this turn of phrase? Why that particular style in the artwork? Why, why, why this color palette versus that color palette? You know, why, why this sentence structure versus some different sentence structure? You know, why these claims? <laughs> Especially when you're like trusting LLMs to give you you know, accurate technical information on some topic. Like, why are you making that claim? Why are you saying this person was born this year? And you can clearly look it up and find out like, well, they weren't. So where is that coming from? Right? <laughs> so if we can't have algorithms that aren't black boxes, then the algorithms are simply unethical on this ground alone. But there's more here, right? So let's just keep going. But I think like that one alone is kind of key. All right, layer number three. The sources generative AI tools use must be 100% opt-in. There can't be any of this, well, you should opt out after the fact if you're really worried about it, blah, blah, blah. Right? Like If we had to vet every single source of information we used for training, we'd never be able to train anything, right? Like, those arguments are nonsense. All training data sets need to be 100% vetted with all parties involved giving their consent and receiving reasonable compensation if indeed they wish to be compensated. 
do your due diligence and use data that's been vetted and that's been properly consented to and the authors compensated if that's what they want. Anything short of that is just unethical. You're stealing people's content. You're stealing people's work. You're stealing human effort, human ingenuity. You're slurping it up. I, I just heard this term recently from Dave Rupert I really like, auto-yoink. Like, you're building these tools that are just auto-yoinking folks' content and then regurgitating back out in one way or another without their consent, without compensating them if they wish to be compensated. That's not cool. That is not cool at all. It's not acceptable. Okay? If you want to build ethical generative AI tools, you need to vet your data sets. All right, layer number four. Generative AI tools should be narrowly purposeful. In other words, these general purpose, all-knowing, all-seeing, magical prompt machines that can generate virtually any output you could imagine are thoroughly unacceptable. Tools which can provide endless novel, quote-unquote, output are tools which are ultimately useless. This isn't like humans or even general-purpose computers. We need extremely targeted algorithms if we are to trust anything coming out of them. So this is another issue we're seeing where, you know, the claims about these sorts of algorithms are, you know, they don't work unless you have enormous amounts of data being fed into them on a huge variety of topics and styles and whatever, right? Like, 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 you, like the smaller models, the claims are, like the smaller models are less useful. Like you, you can't have a seemingly useful chat GPT without just an insane amount of data, an insane amount of training across a huge variety of data sources and types of content and topics and whatnot. Well, that's your problem, buddy. That's not my problem, <laughs> right? Like maybe these algorithms aren't ready for prime time yet, if that's how it works, because I want narrowly purposeful tools. I don't want just a chatbot that can do anything, right? Like, there was an example recently of someone went on to some site where, you know, it threw up a chatbot to provide support. And the person was able to get that chatbot to write Python scripts for some other totally unrelated thing. Because in the end, it's just some general purpose LLM, right? Like, it, it wasn't, like, specifically purposed to provide support for a particular company around a very specific set of topics with a very specific set of data points that have been vetted to be accurate, it's just this sort of general purpose prompt output machine, all-knowing, all-seeing. That's not what we need. That's not trustworthy. It doesn't work. The technology just doesn't work. We need narrowly purposeful tools, not general purpose. Narrowly purposeful tools. All right, layer number five. Generative AI output should be tagged as AI-generated output, and it should be easy to trace how this output gets used throughout content pipelines. The idea that you could just take giant reams of text or still imagery or video and pass that off as human-made or 
you know, comprehensively integrated into something eventually human-made without any disclosure or possibility of verification, that's thoroughly unacceptable. Thoroughly unacceptable. AI output being promoted online without proper disclosure is destroying the fabric of the web. I don't know about you, but I am constantly second-guessing if the art I'm looking at is actually real or not. And I've been burned more than once thinking I'm following an artist, and then it turns out they're just churning out regurgitated AI imagery. Blog posts featuring AI-generated imagery is simply awful. I almost always leave the article behind and even unfollow people who do this habitually. And of course, people that are putting out blog posts that are just AI-written mainly, <laughs> or you know, trying to submit code to open source repositories, trying to edit Wikipedia, trying to submit answers on question and answer sites, like all these different places where, you know, the user submitted content is supposed to be useful, accurate, etc. Like all of this AI generated stuff is just getting thrown into it, often without any disclosure whatsoever. You just have to kind of figure out that like, wait, this doesn't pass the smell test. Hmm. I think this is just some AI crap. Like, this is so wrong. It's so wrong. It is destroying the fabric of the web as we've known it. It's really, really dangerous. We gotta get a handle on this stuff. If you're gonna use generative AI tools to produce output, that output needs to be disclosed, it needs to be tagged somehow as AI output. We need to be able to understand it. We need to be able to vet it. We need to be able to verify it. This next one is a doozy because so many companies and so many software projects out there are failing miserably at it, and it really, really makes me mad. I've, I've contacted tech support <laughs> a number of times with different services, different companies, and I always kind of get like almost this, huh, interesting, we'll, we'll consider it, or we've never thought about it like that, or I don't know, like such non-committal bullshit answers. Ah, <laughs> oh, it really makes me mad. But this layer is an important one, layer number six. Generative AI tools should be opt-in for users. I'll say that again. Generative AI tools should be opt-in for users. I reject all software which adds generative AI to its feature set without the ability for me to opt out, much less opt-in in the first place. Forcing me to have access to these tools is deeply offensive. It's even worse if it's a job that's requiring me to use these tools as part of my job description. That would be as bonkers to me as saying, I can only work at this job if I smoke, or drink alcohol, or carry a gun. You know, that last one would make sense if I'm literally a police officer, or in the military, or maybe in private security. But otherwise, it's thoroughly unacceptable. We have to start pushing back, folks. We have to start pushing back against software and services that just add these unethical generative AI tools. And we can't turn them off. We never opted in. There's not even a way to opt out. It, that's not okay. That is not okay. We need to contact these companies we need to tell them, I don't want these tools in my software. I want to be able to opt out. It would be even better if people have to opt in in the first place. Like, 
this is a serious ethical minefield and you're just adding this stuff to your products without any consideration of these issues. It's really offensive. We need to speak up. All right, and then finally, this this next layer, I would say, is optional in my ethical framework because it's a little harder to argue one way or the other. You know, it's a little bit more up for debate, I would say. But I'm going to throw this out there anyway. Generative AI tools currently seem to take enormous resources in the sense of electricity usage, semiconductor production requirements, etc., There's a very real environmental cost here. I'm not actually sure how it compares to cryptocurrencies, which we already know are horrendously bad for the environment. Uh, So generative AI, it may be a little bit less egregious, but it's certainly not ideal. And, you know, again, we can debate this. Perhaps over time, the issue will resolve itself to a certain degree because the silicon's improving and the efficiency of the algorithms perhaps will improve in some way. But we're not there yet, folks. And when you look at the data center requirements for all of this generative AI processing going on, yikes. So it is something to consider. It is something to consider as you look at the ethics overall in this space. All right, to sum up all of those layers real quick. Layer number one, generative AI tools must be 100% open. Layer two, generative AI tools must be completely transparent about the sources they use and why. Layer number three, the sources generative AI tools use must be 100% opt-in. Layer number four, generative AI tools should be narrowly purposeful. Layer number five, generative AI output should be tagged as generative AI output. (laughs) Layer number six, generative AI tools should be opt-in for users. And then our optional layer number seven is generative AI tools currently are using a lot of resources. It's not great for the environment. We must do better. All right. I think you can start to see at this point that it will be very, very hard for truly ethical generative AI tooling to come to market under this framework. I really haven't seen anything in widespread use or mindshare score high on even a few of these points, let alone all of them. Maybe there is something to this effect out there, I just haven't heard of it. So that's why I personally opt out completely. I don't use any of these generative AI tools. I refuse to use them. And increasingly, I've had to distance myself from colleagues and clients who have decided to use these tools. I intentionally avoid using these tools to such a degree that I once logged into a client's, uh, you know, client of my freelance business. I once logged into a client's server and used a command line tool to download the output of a saved ChatGPT response they had shared with me just so I could read that. I refused to even access ChatGPT on my own computing resources. This is how strongly I feel about this. And if you think I'm starting to sound like Richard Stallman about it all, uh, yeah. I know socially Richard Stallman's a deeply problematic guy, so it's a little uncomfortable for me to look to him for inspiration, but, you know, I just gotta say it. Wow. 
I have so much more respect for his ethical stance around the refusal to use proprietary software as opposed to open source Libre software. That's not a hill I'm willing to die on. You know, I do use proprietary software. But more power to people who refuse to use proprietary software and more power to people who refuse to use generative AI tools as they're presented for use today. I'm personally offended by news media who simply take it as a given that everybody's going to be using these tools. It's inevitable. Nope. Nope. Nothing is inevitable. I've said this before on this podcast. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Nothing is inevitable. We can choose not to use these tools because right now, frankly, there's no way to use them ethically. You know, I could make the argument that there's no way ethically to use AR-15s in typical civilian life, right? AR-15s, these rifles. You can't use them ethically in civilian life. I would make that argument. You know, I I read this stat on Wikipedia that just blew my mind. According to a 2021 Georgetown University poll of gun owners in the United States, 24.6 million people have an AR-15 or a comparable firearm in their possession. Almost 25 million people have access to AR-15s? I think this is insane. Insane! There is no reason why 24.6 million people in the United States of America have access to an AR-15 rifle. There is no reason for that. And yet, that's the way it is right now. I guess you could say, it's inevitable. (laughs) Is it though? Is it though? Why can't we advocate for change? Why can't we take a stand on this stuff? I don't have really any more favorable opinion on generative AI tools right now as I do on weapons, hard drugs, right? (laughs) Frequent tobacco use. Like, there is stuff out there that is bad for you, that might kill you. It's not good stuff, right? Like, you can't really do it ethically. It's not even neutral, except perhaps in very specific circumstances, but most of the time it's just bad. It's just bad stuff, right? Like, there are dangerous inventions out there. It it drives me nuts when people say, like, technology is neither good nor bad. It's just in how you use it, blah, blah, blah. No! There are dangerous inventions that have been made in the history of technology, in the history of science, Inventions that are deeply problematic on numerous levels. Generative AI tools, I think, are in this category because of all the issues I've outlined and the technological solutions that would need to be put in place to overcome these ethical quandaries. It's a lot, and we're not seeing it happening right now. We're not seeing it happening. We're not seeing major purveyors of generative AI put out ethical frameworks like I've described and saying, here's how we're going to overcome these issues. Here's how we're going to solve these problems. We understand these problems. We understand the issues people have with our tools. We're going to fix it. We're working on it. I'm not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it. So listen, I am willing to concede 
I'm willing to concede that if you could build a generative AI tool that met all of my criteria, had safety concerns like I've discussed built into the deepest levels of the software, it was freely available in speech as well as beer, <laughs> to use the common open source terminology, like given all that, I might be willing to use it. I might be willing to use it. But in the meantime, I must endure a sort of computing hellscape where nearly on a daily basis I have software and services and these features thrown in my face telling me I need to try this new AI-powered whatever. If that weren't bad enough, I have humans, people telling me that my job or jobs other people I dearly care about, the jobs they have, are on the verge of being disruptive and even taken over completely by AI tools. It's asinine, deeply offensive, as I keep saying. And furthermore, I don't even accept the premise. I don't. I don't think most creative and knowledge worker type jobs can be automated away like the claims they keep making. And whenever that does happen, we often see ridiculous results, sometimes illegal results, in the case of discrimination against various demographics. And we're already hearing the stories of companies having to hire back skilled workers because the AI systems which replaced them turned out to be hot garbage. Yeah, it's, it's just bonkers. It is bonkers. So, ultimately, I have hope we'll make it through this absurd hype cycle, just like we made it through Web3 and the metaverse, NFTs, and other harebrained schemes concocted by big tech. In the meantime, though, boy, is it frustrating to be a generally ethical person who is also an artist or a small business owner or just a very online person. And yeah, <laughs> I'm all three of those. Wow. All right, folks. I know that was a lot. I know this has gone on long. I know this is a huge info dump. If you need to go back, if you need to rewind and listen to a few of these points again, figure out what it is I'm trying to say. I totally understand. If there's something you fundamentally disagree with, I would love to hear from you about it. You can email me, jared at jaredwhite.com. Connect with me on Mastodon at jaredwhite at indieweb.social. Um, if you resonated with some of these things, I would love to hear from you as well on that front. Uh, but we gotta talk about this stuff, right? I don't necessarily mind if you hear all these arguments and then you decide, well, I don't agree with some of that, and here's why. And you outline your own ethical stance and, and why you've arrived there. Like, that's cool, okay? We can debate these issues. What drives me crazy, though, is when people don't even have an ethical framework. You can't get them to explain to you how you could arrive at ethical AI tooling, how these generative AI tools could be ethical, and how, in whatever ways they aren't currently ethical, you know, how, how that is and why that is. Like, people don't even have these frameworks in place in their own minds, and they're out there promoting stuff, they're running companies. They're building software. It, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> it's like we're in the very early days 
of the explosion of tobacco where there's just cigarette smoke everywhere. And cigarette companies are spending crazy amount of money on advertising and, and putting out the most outlandish and misleading claims about the safety of their products, which weren't safe and aren't safe, right? And you're just going into these buildings, restaurants, clubs, cigarette smoke everywhere, destroying people's lungs, <laughs> people getting lung cancer because of the fundamental lack of safety of these products, right? Like, like think about that era in the past where tobacco use was so unhealthy and so damaging. And these tobacco companies were just these behemoths and seemingly controlling everything. We're seeing that right now with generative AI. Unsafe products, dangerous products just out there being promoted, being marketed, big, big money, VC companies pressuring their portfolio companies to adopt generative AI, even when that's clearly the wrong decision to make. But there's all this pressure. The investors need to see you adding AI to your products, right? This is just wrong. We need to speak up. We need to put ethical frameworks in place. We need to campaign for regulation, more regulation as soon as possible. This is the defining issue of our time, I would say, besides perhaps climate change, right? There's climate change, which is an existential threat to the future of planet Earth. And there's generative AI, which is an existential threat to the internet. It is. It's an existential threat to the internet. We need to talk about this stuff. All right, folks. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with me. As always, you can go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast to hear past episodes of the show. You can sign up for Crater Class, the newsletter at jaredwhite.com slash crater-class. And again, I'm on Mastodon at jaredwhite at indieweb.social. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, bye-bye.